Thank you for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app. Merry Christmas! We're finishing our series, The Gift, with today's message, The Eternal Gift. We're looking in Luke chapter 1 again, focusing on verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God was preparing for his eternal kingdom before Christ was born. He knew that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice and defeat death so that we may have the chance to live with him in paradise forever, his kingdom which is still to come. Are you ready? So we would like to begin in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I want to look at the last part of what that angel said to Mary. I think it's interesting. The angel is just introducing the subject of the, the, the virgin birth, about the Messiah coming, and God gives us his end game. Now, typically as, as uh, Christians, we, we just think about, you know, I'm being saved from hell. My sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. But when Jesus came, Jesus' message was this. Repent, or as one translation says, change the way you think, for God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is here. Now, here's the thing. God's end game is the kingdom of God. And, and as the, the angel said, in that kingdom, there will never be an end. It will never end. Now, we tend to be very short-sighted and we think that the gospel is just about my being forgiven and going to heaven. But when Jesus came, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is here. So listen, the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is coming. And you, 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 you can say, well, I don't get it. You're probably not supposed to. Do, do you, do you, listen, do you realize how many times the Bible talks about mysteries? If everything was so easy, you and I could figure it out with our peanut brain, it would not be very good. But the kingdom of God is right now. It's in you, but the kingdom of God is coming. There, there, there comes a day when the kingdom of God will be forcefully, forcefully established and maintained. So, You'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In, in the, the first portion of your Bible, the Old Testament, there's a book in there called Daniel. And it's about a guy by the name of Daniel who's a prophet. But in his time, 
the wicked king has a dream and God gives him this dream and shows him the kingdoms that are going to rule the Middle East, literally from that time until the end of time. And so the king wants to make sure that the, he's getting the right interpretation. So he says, you tell me the dream and then I'll know you can tell me the interpretation. Well, Daniel prays and God shows him the dream and he goes in and here's the end of the interpretation. And in those days, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now he's talking about the, the Persian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the, the uh, Grecian kingdom, the Roman kingdom. He's talking about these different kings. How many know those are all political things? They're political systems. But literally, he says what God is going to do, he's going to set up his own political system. And Jesus is going to be, how many know Jesus, we receive him as Lord. That means king. He's our king. I, I, I have a friend who lives up by Cadillac, and, and uh, I, I, I love this guy. He's crazy. Right? He didn't get saved until older in flight older in life, and, and uh, he uses some expletives sometimes that he probably shouldn't. But whenever he talks about Jesus as the king, the king, the king, because that's who Jesus is. He is the king. Now, particularly in, in the last decade with everything that's been going on, uh, I, I've had so many people come up and say, uh, do you believe the end's near? Is it the end of the world? Is the end near? What's going on? And, and people are fearful, some are afraid an asteroid's gonna hit us, there's gonna be some sort of a nuclear exchange, or nowadays it's a pandemic. What if we get a pandemic and everybody dies? Well, it's not gonna happen. And you say, how are you sure? Well, because the Bible tells us how it's all gonna end. 2 Peter 3, 6. By which the worlds that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens, the atmosphere, and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In Noah's day, God destroyed the earth with a flood. But Peter said the next time, it's going to be with fire. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise or an explosion. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So the atmosphere will literally catch on fire and burn up. And the earth, everything on earth, every element, the gold, the silver, the metal, everything will be burned up. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because in which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt in fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, what are we gonna do? We're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So literally what God's going to do is God's gonna take this planet. I, I, I love this planet, I think it's beautiful. But how many know it's under a curse? But God's gonna take this planet 
and he's gonna purify the planet, and then he's going to recreate this planet. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. New atmosphere, new earth. For the first earth, first heaven and earth had passed away, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and literally, what makes heaven heaven is God's city. And when God moves, God doesn't take a couple suitcases or a U-Haul. When God moves, God takes a city. And the Bible says he's taking his city. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So many Christians today, when they think about heaven, they think about a cloud that you wear a sheet, you play a harp, you eat grapes, where little naked babies shoot you with an arrow. And that's kind of their picture of heaven. But the Bible tells us that heaven is going to be right here on earth. God's going to come down with his city. He's going to recreate this earth, and it's going to be more beautiful than anything that any of us could ever even imagine. Back to uh, the Christmas story, Luke 2. The, the, uh, the Caesar has commanded a census and says, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he's of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while we were there that her days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the, the two great events that Christianity is built on are, first of all, the incarnation. God coming as a man, being born in Bethlehem. And the second, of course, is the resurrection. Now, I think it's interesting that there's very little that the Bible tells us about Jesus growing up. It can be, be put in, in seven or eight verses. You know, he's 12 years old. He, he's in Jerusalem. His parents leave him. He's talking with the, the, the teachers of the law. And, and really, until Jesus is 30 years old, that's about all that we hear about Jesus. But the Bible tells us much about his makeup. It says in Philippians 2 in verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. See, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was not his beginning. In fact, the Bible tells us, for example, in Colossians, that when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus that said, let there be light. It says everything that is made, visible and invisible, was made by him. But he came as a bondservant, obedient, and he came because of love. 
You see, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And because his love was so great, he came, and the Bible says, in the likeness of men. He literally, he puts on a suit of humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, you live in a flesh and blood body, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. In order for Jesus to take your and my place and pay for our sin and defeat the devil, he needed to come just like us in a flesh in flesh and blood body. Verse 15 says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid or salvation to angels, but he does give aid or salvation to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to come in a body just like yours and redeem you. Now, here's what you, you, I, I want you to catch from this. You can only receive what Jesus did for you as long as you live in a flesh and blood body. You know, people have the idea, well, you know, I die and I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna say, God, whoa, wow, look at this. I, I made a mistake. I, I, I think I, I, wanna, I wanna redo. I'm sorry right now, I changed my mind. But once you die, it's too late. Jesus redeemed you in a flesh and blood body. And you can only receive what he did for you as long as you live in a flesh and blood body. Notice it makes mention, there's no aid, there's, nothing, there's no help for angels. Well, angels don't have a flesh and blood body, but you do. And you've got to receive what Jesus did for you while you still live in that flesh and blood body. The Bible says, Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And again, the fourth chapter tells us that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is no temptation, no emotion, no grief, no disappointment, no depression, there is nothing that can ever come your way but that Jesus has not experienced it. Jesus has not been tempted in the same way that you and I have been tempted. He came in a flesh and blood body to show us what God is like so that he would understand everything that we have been through and to redeem us because without that flesh and blood body, he couldn't redeem us. He came and he paid for our sin. The picture that really is painted here is of a king who's, who's living in luxury, but he really wants to be close to his servants, to, his, to his, his subjects. And so the king takes off his crown, his royal robes, his fancy designer shoes, and he puts on old sandals, and he gets an old coat, and he puts it on, and he goes out, and he lives among his people. See, that's what Jesus did. He put on a suit of humanity. And he experienced everything that you and I experience in our human existence. 
It says that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, most likely the, the place where Jesus was was a cave. You know, we sing that song, Silent Night, Holy Night. It was a holy night, but it was not a silent night. I mean, there's cows, there's donkeys, there's sheep. Most likely, there's other travelers. There was no room for them in the end. Other people are there. there. Some of them are laughing. They're probably playing some cards, telling jokes. It was holy, but it was not a silent night. And it says that he wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes. Um, in my mind, I always pictured like old diapers, you know, kind of like a swaddling, you know. That's kind of what I, I pictured, the, the, the swaddling clothes. But they tell us what they actually were, were they were the bandages or the cloths that they would use to wrap up newborn lambs. Now, I think that's interesting because when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible tells us that he is our Passover lamb. It says that in the same country, there were shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night. Um, if, if you go to Bethlehem today, as you're, as you're coming towards Bethlehem, I mean, there is a very distinct, the town ends right here. It's up on the top of the hill. And the town ends, and right there on the side, it's really almost out in the field. It's like the side of a mountain. It's the shepherd's field. I remember the first time I, I went to uh, Israel and was with Shmuel. He lives right across from the shepherd's field. In fact, he said to me, he said, come over here. And we looked out the window, and the view outside of his big window was the shepherd's field. Now, these were not just shepherds. These shepherds that were there, they were the shepherds who watched over the sacrificial lambs for the temple. So I think it's interesting that when the angel comes, he said, don't be afraid, for I bring you glad tidings. I bring you, in fact, in the Greek it says, you, you, especially you. It's just not you who, you who are there. It's like, this is especially for you, those that are watching over the sacrificial lambs. I want you to go to Bethlehem, the angel said, and I want you to see that the Messiah, Christ the Lord, the Passover lamb, has been born. And it's, 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 I, I, I love that. That angel is standing there and saying, I'm announcing to you the best news that has ever been announced, and it is for everyone. You know, some of us were, were brought up in churches where we were taught what Jesus did was only for certain people. It, it, it covers only this group or that group, but God didn't want to save everybody. No, what Jesus did, he did for every single person. And he was, the Bible says, Christ the Lord at his birth. He was the Lord. He was the Christ. He was the Lord, the highest authority at his birth. It was God coming in the flesh. Now, I want to jump over to Luke chapter 2. 
and back up, or really go forward a bit, not backing up, but going forward a bit. Now, we've all seen the, the Christmas cards where the, the shepherds are there and the, the wise men come. I remember that. Well, and when we got one, oh, it's, I love it. Right? I want to tell you, that didn't happen. Okay? That didn't happen. Uh, the shepherds came the night Jesus was born. But the wise men, they don't show up in Bethlehem. In fact, you can check this out. At 40 days, they go to the temple for, for Mary's purification. And St. Simeon's there. Anna's there. They both prophesy over Jesus. And then it says, and they return to Nazareth. Nazareth. Now, the wise men haven't shown up yet. In fact, it's estimated that it's two years later when the wise men show up. When the shepherds show up, the Greek word that's used to refer to Jesus is an infant who's just been born. But when the wise men show up, by the way, he's already in a house, mentions that. And the word that's used to describe Jesus is a toddler who is being trained. It's estimated it's about two years. So Luke 2, verse 22 when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him to Jerusalem, and they presented him to the Lord. Now, after this is when they go, and they end up back in Nazareth. Now, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And he gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him Bethlehem. Now, a couple things. Now, it mentions here in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is Herod the Great. In fact, he's referred to even in the Bible as Herod the Great. Now, you're going to hear a lot of Herods in the Bible. But in this chapter alone, this Herod, Herod the Great, is mentioned 18 times in one chapter. He is a main character right? in, in, in what, everything that's going on in Jerusalem and in Israel at that time, and especially in the birth of Jesus. He's a main character. But he's mentioned in the Bible, his sons are mentioned in your Bible, and his grandson shows up in the book of Acts. So otherwise, you read about Herod, and you think, man, this guy lived a long time. He died over here, and he's back over here, and then he dies, and he's back again. What's up? Right? Herod is like Smith, family name. But Herod the Great, he was the first in their, in their family. Now, this guy, well, even like I said, they called him Great. Now, he was known for his tremendous architectural things that he, that he had built, and he was also known for his temper. Now, these wise men, by the way, they show up approximately two years later, and it said, Herod and all Jerusalem, right? They're, they're troubled. Now, they were not troubled because three guys showed up with camels. Now, by the way, we, we always on our cards, we have the three wise men. Now, the Bible doesn't say there were three wise men. 
The Bible says there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but not three wise men. It could have been three, but it could have been six or 18. We don't know how many. But when Magi traveled, they didn't travel alone. And these guys are extremely wealthy, very wealthy. They would have shown up with a minimum of two or 300 people and possibly five, six, 700 people. Now, when that caravan showed up at Jerusalem, everybody knew the caravan showed up. It wasn't some little thing. And they're saying, we've seen the star that the king of the Jews has been born. Now, these men are coming from Babylon. Now, the reason that we know that is that, that well, not only early church fathers, but Daniel became the head of all of the magi, all the wise men in Babylon. And Daniel had prophesied and said, the king of the Jews is going to be born and there will be a sign. And for 600 years, the wise men of Babylon have been waiting and they've been looking. And when the star shows up, and by the way, it probably was not a star or a planet. It's some sort of a celestial manifestation that God did specifically for this. Because it shows up, it, they, they, they see it, they come to Jerusalem, but it's disappeared. And after they talk to Herod, it reappears. And it shows up over Nazareth where Jesus is at at the time. So these wise men show up and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gifts that they brought would have been worth literally millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Now, it's important because Herod is gonna try to kill this baby and they have to flee and they flee down to Egypt. Now, in Egypt, the uh, Coptic church, which is literally 2,000 years old, can t they have identified over 20 different places where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph hid during that time. And Herod, the Bible says he will seek to kill, the angels that he will seek, and he did even seek to kill him when he was down in Egypt. Now, Herod the Great again, he built Masada, you know, in fact, he built it because he's so paranoid. He's afraid there's going to be a rebellion. So way down in the southern part of Israel, down by the Dead Sea, he builds this, on top of this mountain, he builds this massive palace and structure that he believed could withstand a siege for years, and which later, of course, it did do. But he's so paranoid, he murdered three of his own sons because he thought they were trying to take his throne. He murdered his wife, because he thought she was trying to take the throne, and he murdered his brother-in-law. He was paranoid to the extreme. He was born in 72 BC, became Judah, king of Judah. Uh, by the way, he's a friend of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. In fact, the uh, Tower of Antonia that he built was built in honor of Mark Anthony. And when Mark Anthony and Cleopatra go against Octavio, he sides with Cleopatra and with Mark Anthony and supplies money and troops. And when they get defeated, he's like, oh my goodness, the new Caesar's gonna come for me. He gets on a ship, goes to the island where the Caesar is vacationing, knocks on the door and says, I'm Herod, 
and I'm here to talk to Caesar. He goes in and he bows before Caesar and he says, I am loyal. He says, I was loyal to Mark Anthony. I was loyal to Cleopatra. I was wrong. If you'll forgive me, I will be loyal to you. And the Caesar was so impressed. He said, all right, keep your throne. And not only you keep it, but your generations keep it. He was very shrewd, a great builder, but paranoid. And, and uh, in fact, when he knew he was going to be dying, this is what he said. He said, when I die, I want you to get all the princes together. When I'm very sick and you know I'm going to die, get all the princes of Israel together. And when I die, kill them all so that somebody's sorry when I die. Because he knew nobody loved him. And they did gather all the princes together, and he died, and they let them all go, and they had a party. <laughs> they were released, and there was just great rejoicing. So we've got this paranoid king who's trying to kill Jesus, so he has to flee. But the, the wise men have come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, extremely, extremely valuable things, things that they could travel with, and they go to Egypt. And they're there until Herod's death. And then the angel appears to Joseph and says, now, bring Jesus back. And they go back to Nazareth. Now, here's what I, I, I want to, to share with you today. Before Herod ever tried to kill baby Jesus, God had already provided everything that was going to be needed for them to go to Egypt and live the years that they needed to be hid there God had already provided it. Um, we've had different things happen here at church, and, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And Al, wave, wave everybody Al. Al tells me the same thing every time. He says, this is no surprise to God. How many of you know any problem that you face or I face, it's not a surprise to God. In fact, not only is it not a surprise, he's already got provision someplace for us. We may not see it, but it's there. No matter what the devil brings, no matter how he attacks, the Bible says God works all things together for the good of those that love God to those that are called according to his purpose. And no matter what it is that the devil means for destruction and for evil, God says, I will turn it around for good. And you say, well, it's just not good. That's because it's not over. Because when it's over, God will turn it around for good. And if you're still in the battle, just know God's got victory for you. God's going to use that thing. God's going to turn it around for your good. The devil means it for destruction, but God loves nothing better than to catch the devil in his own trap. They threw Daniel in the lion's den, thought that was the end. But God protected him in the very enemies that had him thrown in the lion's den, end up in that den. God just catches the devil in his own plans, turns it around for your good. Say, so I want to thank you for being on the program with me. Do you know the Bible says that we should know that we have everlasting life? Many people simply assume, well, I know about God and I'm right with God. And I hope when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But the Bible says, know that you have. 
You need to know you're forgiven. Know you're right with God. You say, how can I do that? Because God can't lie. He said, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're away from God today or you don't know where you stand with God, you say, I want to be right with God today. I want to pray this prayer with you. I want to call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible tells us to. And the Bible says, will be saved. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer from your heart out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. He is my king. Jesus is my Lord. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God heard that prayer if you prayed that prayer from your heart, and you are right with God. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep on growing spiritually. I want to send it to you free of charge. Now, There's information on your screen. You can download that book free of charge or you contact us and we will give it to you free of charge. We want to be a blessing to you. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. We love you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you. Download it right there instantly, or you can find it on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. I pray that you have a blessed and wonderful Christmas. We'll see you again next time. Savior of the world, precious Lamb, Son of God, Son of Man, Innocent He came, to heal the land Held the world in his hands And he'll be called Emmanuel Oh, holy night The stars are shining Turn to light, we sing for.